Let's just bow our heads now and again ask the Lord to be with us. Father in heaven, today we're thankful that uh, this desire to be like you has drawn us here today. We confess that uh, we often wound you, we often wound others, and we actually hurt ourselves, although sometimes we don't recognize that. But we want to be like you today, and we don't want uh, our services here just to be sentimental, but we want them to go deeper, and we pray that decisions could be made during this hour, not because of me, but because of your Spirit, not because of us, but in spite of us. We want to be open to your Spirit's leading, and we thank you and come in Christ's name. Amen. When uh, Eric Nelson contacted me to speak with you today and told me the topic that he had assigned to me, that being temperance, I can't say I was initially overwhelmed with joy. Because talking to people about the three or four D's, diet, dress, drums, and decor, <laughs> dating is kind of like uh, starting a fight. <laughs> and since I've been beat up a number of times, I know how that feels. And uh, so I, I am here as your friend today. <laughs> if you need to hit somebody, uh, maybe that person next to you would be good. We've been taking as our text first uh, or second Peter, and let's look there again today. And I appreciated what I could hear of the man with good genetics, Eugene Pruitt's remarks concerning knowledge. And uh, my family's here with me today, so I got to take a walk with Schmeeky and Schmooky and Schmalky. And you'll get to meet them a little later. So, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, or 2, 3, and then just moving into what we're going to talk about. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and, our, and of Jesus our Lord. As His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now that word lust, is probably a word that many people here are interested in. The reason I say that is because of all the sermons I ever preached at my church in Kansas on the Internet, I preached a sermon on lust, and that sermon got three times as many hits as anything else. So you may not look like you're interested in lust and how to have victory over lust in your life, but you probably are. And don't worry, you're in, in good company. I want to have victory over lust in my life. Paul said, <laughs> I'm a little concerned that if I preach to others, I might be a castaway. So I keep my body under. I want to be temperate, he said. So preachers need a sermon on lust and temperance. I'm glad to be here asking the Holy Spirit to preach to me. And maybe you can just listen in. Is that fair enough? This idea of lust and temperance, you say, well, how are those two related? Actually, the word temperance is only used about four times in the Bible. And uh, 
Two of the times is right here in Peter. Another time is in Galatians, where it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and, and self-control. It's translated in Galatians chapter 5. And the third time then helps me focus in on this idea of lust because it's found in Acts chapter 24. Turn with me there. Acts chapter 24. And in Acts chapter 24, looking at the Acts of the Apostles, we see Paul, who we just mentioned earlier, who had victory in many areas of his life, he used to have this nasty habit. Uh, he was addicted to killing Christians. <laughs> and temperance is the total absence of that which is harmful and the moderate use of that which is good. And it's never good to kill Christians. <laughs> am I right or am I wrong? Moses had some problems. He killed people. Aaron had some problems. He let people worship the golden calf. He was allowing those things. So I take confidence that if Aaron could be the saint of the Lord, if Paul could change, and if Moses could then write the Bible, and Paul could write most of the New Testament, we're going to have some good news today. Amen? Amen. So here in Acts chapter 24 is the, is the third time, or maybe the first time would be a better way to say it, that this word temperance is used. And you remember the story. Paul is in trouble because in chapter 22, 23, he had come to the temple in Jerusalem and he was wanting to be purified with some of his converts and then some Jews from Asia saw it and they raised a big stink and he got in trouble and he was almost to be killed when Felix steps in and Felix sends the soldiers out, protects him. How many of you think Paul would have a debt to Felix? Oh, thank you, Felix. And Felix knew that people had debts and so he liked to talk to them, it says at the end of chapter 24, to try and get bribes, verse 26. He hoped that money would be given him by Paul, but that's the last time he talked to him. The first time he talked to him, he just didn't really understand what he was in for because Paul was not your typical person. After he had been taken out of the quagmire by Felix and Drusilla, he was put in a holding tank and he had freedom. And Then uh, Felix called for him, and the natural thing would be say, Thank you, thank you, Felix. You uh, are, are, are the greatest thing that ever happened, and I just want to tell you how, how wonderful a ruler I think you are, because I'm alive, first of all, and uh, secondly, is there anything I can get for you? But Paul, in that setting, instead of letting his flesh lead, preached a sermon on temperance. You find it there. In verse 24. And some days, after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now he, that is Paul, reasoned about righteousness, temperance, or the New King James that I'm reading, self-control and judgment to come. And Felix was afraid. Who should have been afraid, normally speaking? Paul should have been afraid, but he preached and Felix was afraid. Can you say amen? When you're like Jesus, people tremble and they... Why did Felix tremble? You see, Felix was on wife number three and it wasn't for good reasons. Uh he had gone, he had a, a run of Drusillas. This was the second Drusilla, but this one was stolen from another guy. And Drusilla was no bag of righteousness either. She had allowed her feelings to be changed, even though she knew better, being raised a Jewess. And uh, she had come into this relationship as well, and they both, or at least she knew it was wrong. It's interesting, she doesn't even respond. But Felix responds in fear because Paul is preaching something. He's reasoning about righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Now, where does that, does that sound familiar, that little catchphrase, righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come? Does that sound like a text you've ever heard anywhere else? Uh, John, chapter 16, I think comes to my mind. Let's look there and see if I'm right. John, chapter 16, and I want you to notice this coupling because I think it's interesting. 
Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit who would come, explaining his ministry in verse 8 said, And when he, that is the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment to come. Now, which word has been interchanged? Not righteousness. Righteousness was both texts. What was it? Temperance is interchanged with what word? Sin. So, intemperance then is what? Is what? It is sin. Woo! How many times do you just dismiss it as, oh, that's just the way I am? But it's sin. And what happens with sin? If you continue to sin? The wages of sin is death. Peter understood this. And he understood all these different things. And so in Second Peter in our passage, he said, look, you need to escape these things, these fleshly lusts. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. By which you have, he has given us exceeding great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through what? Through lust. Now there it gives the secret to being temperate. What is it? By claiming the precious promises of God. You know, that's another way to say by getting to know Jesus. Did you know that? Claiming the promises is getting to know Jesus because 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 says, All the promises of God are in Him. They're in Jesus. And they're all yes in Him. And they're all in Him. Amen. To the glory of God through us. Can you say hallelujah? Listen to that text. All the promises of God are in who? They're in Jesus. And they are in Him. Amen. Which means when you're in Him, it's going to happen. So be it. And then what's it say next? And in Him to the glory of God through us. That's through you and me, brothers and sisters. How many of you got the, got the hang of that? In other words, if we're in Jesus... We're claiming His promises. He can give us victory. And He can live in and through us. Now, Peter in 1 Peter, 2 Peter is of course after 1 Peter. And it really lays the foundation for everything we're talking about. In 1 Peter, chapter 2, in verse 11 it says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the what? Soul. So how does Peter propose to help us? If I could look at your foreheads, well actually there was a story about this one day, a minister was traveling on a plane, and he was praying that the Lord would help him minister to the person next to him. And as he began to pray, on the forehead of the man next to him, a word came on the forehead. He could see it. And the word was adulterer. God had revealed to him that the man sitting next to him was an adulterer. Now, what would you do if God revealed that to you? What would happen today if I looked out and looking at your foreheads, I could see any area you're struggling? How many would be comfortable with that? Likewise, what if you could see what I was struggling? How many glad this does not happen every day? But this is what happened, and he goes, "Oh man!" And he sits down and he says, "Why are you being unfaithful to your wife?" That's what the minister said. And the man went, "How did you know?" And he began to confess. That's how Felix felt. You read the ministry of Ellen White when she was working. And sometimes the same thing would happen there. The man you're with 
or the wife you're with is not your wife and you have another one who calls you daddy, he, she said in one camp meeting. Remember this story? Woo. I think probably some of us are even frightened today thinking about this. But I'm not here today to try and guilt you. I'm not here today to say, you bad, bad people, because you had 58% tofu instead of 52%. I'm not here to talk about cheese. I'm not here to talk about any of that stuff. Although, I could. <laughs> you know I could. What I'm trying to talk about today is victory. And I want to show you that Peter understands how to give victory. Because what he does in 1 Peter, well, look. Look at verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, he says, verse 13, gird up the loins of your mind. I could preach on that. Gird them up, folks. Rest your hope fully on the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance. But what I want to focus on is not so much that because it's a conclusion. How does he prepare people to have victory? He says, look, you can only have victory, verse 13, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think that's good news. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, he shows this picture of, of a Christ who grips you, a Christ who strips you, and a Christ who equips you. First Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God of our Father, verse 3, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible. We're not going to be corrupted by those lusts anymore. Undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And so he says, look, if you want to have victory, let me tell you, I've already got the victory and it's saved for you in heaven. Can you say hallelujah? It's uncorrupted. It's undefiled. Look at verse 8. End of verse 7. At the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, that is the salvation of your souls. What's he saying here? He's saying, I've got the prize. It's there. It's heaven. It's, it's reserved for you. And I want you to have that experience now on earth, and you can. Is that good news? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, can be a reality, he's saying. You can receive the end of your salvation. You can have joy, peace, right here, right now. Amen? But how? The verses I... This clock must be wrong. Verses I skipped. We talked about it last night. Verse 5. How? If you're kept, kept by what, verse 5? The power of God, which is what? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God, both, you see what I'm saying? To save. So how is it that we can have victory here? So we, we have the prize it's by living under God's spell, the gospel. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have been grieved with various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's it saying? Through the power of the gospel, you can have victory. But it's going to be a struggle sometimes. Galatians chapter 5, the other occurrence of temperance. Galatians chapter 5. Look at it with me for a second. Corinthians and Galatians. 
Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Verse 24. And those who have who are Christ, this is Paul's parallel passage to Peter, have done what? Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So between the prize that we attain and the people of God who are rejoicing there's a couple crosses to bear how many of you know all about those crosses and those crosses are not just special annoyances from others like I mentioned last night Paul calls them in Hebrews chapter 12 besetting sins and these are the lust of the flesh it can be appetite they were called Graves of craving in Numbers chapter 11. Same word that was used for Eve when she ate the fruit at first. So it could be any of the fleshly appetites. What you eat, what you drink, what you watch, what you wear or what you don't wear, whatever. All of these things. And Peter wants us to recognize, and Paul does too, that there's going to be a struggle. But the struggle, the struggle is worth it. When we, re, when we consider the reward. I'm thankful to be a Seventh-day Adventist because Seventh-day Adventists talk about this kind of stuff. No one feels good going to a church and doing bad things and just being told good news about their bad habits. You kind of feel like, you know, I know what I was doing was wrong and is wrong. Sometimes even a court of law is more righteous than a church. It says, that's bad. Don't do that anymore. I'll read you a little thing. I've got to hurry on because I'm already beginning the time. They're a little worried because last night Eutychus almost died. <laughs> the second death. But in the early Advent pioneer uh, movement, I want to read you something from the prophet. Remember, Paul struggled with this. Remember, others struggled with this. But maybe th let me just read you something that you're going to think, maybe this is extreme, but it gets to all the points, and it, it is extreme, extremely good. <laughs> Ellen White received a letter from this lady who was struggling, and she just decided to answer back. Should I read the letter to you? Here's what she says. I have read your letter. You seem to have an earnest desire to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Where's that from? Philippians 2. I encourage you to do this. I counsel you to discard everything that would cause you to do a halfway work in seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Put away every indulgence that would hinder you from the work of overcoming. And ask for the prayers of those who can comprehend your need of help. How many think that's good counsel? you want to have victory over the lust of the flesh, ask for those who can understand. Don't go to someone who's holier than thou and says, Oh, you bad, 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 bad person. Why do you struggle with that? I have never done that. Well, I'm glad that you don't have that problem. But let me help you remove the plank in your eye because it's pride you're dealing with. There was a time, she continues in this letter, when I was in a situation similar to some respects to yours. I had indulged the desire for vinegar. Ooh. But I resolved with the help of God to overcome this appetite. doesn't matter. You could have put anything else in there. But for Ellen White, it was vinegar. I fought the temptation, determined not to be mastered by the habit. Somehow, vinegar was leading Ellen White around. For weeks, I was sick. But I kept saying over and over, the Lord knows all about it. If I die, I die. But I will not yield to this desire. That's the cross. The struggle continued. I was sorely afflicted for many weeks. I thought it was impossible for me to live. That's the cross. You may be sure that we, notice she wasn't doing this alone. If you want to have victory over the lust, don't say, okay, after the sermon today, I'm going to go back behind the bush. I'm going to have victory. Sometimes we need help, yes or no. You may be sure that we sought the Lord very earnestly. The most fervent prayers were offered for my recovery. Can you picture it? James White. Lord, give the prophet victory over vinegar. 
But that's what happened. Yes or no? She's writing about it. I continue to resist the desire for vinegar. And last, at last, I conquered. Now I have no inclination to taste anything of the kind. This experience has been of great value to me in many ways. I obtained a complete victory. Can you say hallelujah? I relate this experience to you for your help and encouragement. I have faith, my sister, that you can come through this trial and reveal that God is the helper of his children in every time of need. If you determine to conquer this habit and will fight it perseveringly, you can attain an experience of the highest value. When you set your will resolutely to break off this indulgence, you will have the help that you need from God. Try it, my sister. If you determine to overcome, she, I'll just finish it off the Lord will heal you and will give you strength to resist every temptation wow what I like about that is the vulnerability of the prophet aren't you don't you like that sometimes we especially who picture ourselves as being in conservative camps want to never be honest and we have terrible problems Terrible problems because of it. I want to confess to you that I need victory in my life and I need help every day. I'm just like Paul who said, I hope I don't become a castaway. I'll keep my body under. So what's the victory? Peter says, looking to Jesus. Paul says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, when we have these besetting sins. And that's what I want to do to close the message. I think everyone's like fearful enough like Felix right now, and we should be, but the victory is in Jesus. And it said, what can happen? How can we have victory? By claiming the promises of God. Who are the promises? All pointing to Jesus. Another by, by focusing on Jesus, and then he can work through us and in us. Hallelujah. And so I think the victory, as we see in 1 Peter, is by looking to Jesus. Because before the therefore, therefore abstain from these lusts. There's a wherefore. And that wherefore is looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. One promise, only one promise, I think is a precious one, and you may know it in this regard. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Remember, all promises are yes in Christ, but this one especially. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of God. That's Jesus' promise. If we look to Him, we'll be changed. How many think that's good news? And you know, when it was in Jesus' day, people from around the world and around the country would come to Him. Paralytics would come to him. They, you say, how did they come if they're paralyzed? Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, it says their friends brought them to Jesus, let him down through the, loop, the roof. They said, wait a minute, we've seen that this guy has power to change paralysis. We need to take you. People who were anemic came to him. Mark chapter 5, verse 25 through 34, a woman with an issue of blood for years came and said, we know he has power, and sure enough, that flow was stopped. Rich men came to him in the middle of the night, John chapter 3. Poor women came to him in the middle of the day, and he said in the midst of the rich and the poor, whosoever comes to me whosoever believes I'll help and the word got out short men came like Zacchaeus rich young rulers came poor people came wise men and even the Greeks came John chapter 12 and verse 21 they came from the east they came from the west and they said there in John chapter 12 verse 21 we would see Jesus why did they all come because they recognized that by looking to Him, there was power. By being in His presence, there was power. And then His disciples had the same power. Peter had power. He'd even pull out his handkerchief and people would be healed. People would go by the shadow of How many of you want to have an experience like that today? But you can't if the screen is saying, Adulterer. If God put His power like you on that, you'd blow up. This is, someone asked me this week, I, I was preaching in uh, AFCO class, I should have been teaching, but I was preaching, and as I was preaching there and teaching, someone says, why doesn't God do those things today? 
I believe he does do those things today. I've seen the healing power of God. I've seen, I've seen his presence come in. I know the devil will counterfeit it. But I've seen people healed. My little church in Wichita saw your grandmother's arm healed. I saw a number of healings in that place, but these were just mercy drops. I believe God wants big drops to come down. Let blow this little tarp away. Yeah. Even the thief on the cross, he just got close enough to Jesus. One went one way, one went the other. He said, Christ, remember me when you come in your kingdom. There is Christ in his weakest state. And just looking at him, the thief knew there was power. And he said, please remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said, I'll do it. Hallelujah. The power of Jesus. So I want to ask you today, what would it take you to surrender fully to Jesus? You see, the issue is not your lust. The issue is not that issue that you think is such the big issue. Although it is a big issue in the sense that it represents you are not really allowing Jesus to change you in that way. By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. You say, wait a minute, I've got knowledge like Dr. Pruitt talked about. I've got faith. Well, faith leads to knowledge and all those other things. But by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. First John chapter 2. Verse 3, 4, 5, and 6 says, isn't that right? And so this, if you're having that struggle, there is an issue, but the issue is found in looking to Jesus. How many of you want to surrender today to Jesus? Why did Jesus, people turn to Jesus? Was it his physical attraction? No, Isaiah 53, verse 2 says, He had no former comeliness and there was no beauty in him that we should desire him. That wasn't the issue. I'm not saying he was ugly, but he wasn't unusually different. He wasn't like standing out, and it wasn't the physical attributes that draw him. Why did they turn to him? It was his character. It was his face. It was his teaching. It was his treatment of people. He was kind. Samaritans came. Women came. And they were treated kindly. Samaritans were not treated summarily. Women were not treated in, with disrespect The sick were not just abandoned as if they had sinned. Children, he said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. Outcasts, he hung out with them. Demoniacs, (laughs) think about it. Tax collectors, it was his love, his purity, his self-denial, his humility, his patience, his prayer. Anytime his disciples couldn't find him, they had to go look. And there he was praying. He was connected with God. And they saw the power. And they were drawn to him. It was his mercy. It was his forgiveness. And in the fisherman's case, that is Peter, it was the way he dealt with him. We're studying First Peter. And Peter loved the Lord, but he didn't really know what he was talking about at first. And so... Jesus met him right at first and he said, Look, your name is Simon, son of Jonah, but I'm going to call you Rock. You think you're just the son of Jonah. I'm going to call you Cephas. You're going to be a rock. You're going to be a pillar. You're going to be steadfast. People are going to be able to root their experience next to years. And he called those things which are not as though they are, and people loved him for it. And people looked at him and, they, and he would say, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And his very life-giving command gave them confidence and especially Peter. You remember when he was walking on the water, he said, Lord, command me and I'll come. And then he came and he looked down and he began to sink and he said, save me, Lord. And the Lord could have said, you know what? You're not keeping my commandments. I told you to walk on the water. But did he do that? He stretched out his hand. Oh, the mercy and love of God. So people responded. Luke chapter 22, verse 61, it says that Jesus turned and looked at Peter after he denied him three times. Said that look, that look. Let me talk about that look. Let me have the servant of the Lord talk about it. Coloss- uh, not Colossians, Christ object lessons, 154, 155. The look of Jesus broke his heart. The look of Jesus assured him pardon. You want to have a look like that? Now his self-confidence was gone. Never again were the old boasted assertions repeated. It was through self-sufficiency that Peter fell. And it was through repentance and humiliation that his feet were again established. 
You know the reason we probably have problems with lusts and, 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 and temperance is because we're self-sufficient. Oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll join a group. We'll do it. I'll do it. I think these are all good, but really, what does it say? Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 141. We cannot of ourselves conquer the evil desires and habits that strive for the mastery. We cannot overcome the mighty foe that holds us in his thrall. God alone can give us the victory. How many thankful that he wants to give us the victory? He already has the victory. And Peter, he says, look, if you want to have victory, he starts, First Peter, look to Jesus. We don't get the sense except for just one verse in Second Peter chapter 1. Look to Jesus. And so I want to ask you today, what would it take you to turn completely to Christ today? You might say, I already have. Well, good for you. But there may be some people here who have not completely turned to Christ. What would it take for you to turn completely to Christ today? You know that song? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can give me peace within? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How precious is that blood? That makes me white as snow. No other source I know. Nothing but the what? We sang it this morning. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Would you or evil of victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There was a preacher in Scotland. And he preached a sermon. You know what the name of the sermon was? The expulsive power of a new affection. I love that title. In other words, when we have this affection for Jesus, everything else can be gotten rid of. He so overwhelms us and indwells us that we let go of everything. But maybe it's because we haven't looked close enough. Ellen White says this, It's essential to print Christ, present Christ in his matchless love to the mind that his counter and his stronger charms may ellipse the attractions of the world. The youth, this is a youth congress, must not merely see theory, however logical, but the loving character and glory of Christ. They must be led to behold the riches of the eternal world until they're encouraged, until they're animated, and they're one and the love of Jesus must be the motive of all effort because it impels, it constrains, and it captivates. I'm going to encourage you to look to Jesus. We've been going over a list. Is that 16 minutes or 6? 16, praise God. We've been going over a list in Peter, right? Add this, add that, all these other things. But we can't do any of that unless Jesus does it for us. Can you say amen to that? Are you with me? And when it does happen, we need to give all the credit and glory to Him. Am I right? Is that right? Why, as professing Christians, are we so mixed and mingled with the world till we lose sight of eternity? Manuscript 12, 1894. Why, I ask you, are there so many families destitute of the Spirit of God? She continues, it is because they don't know God. If they knew God, and if they would behold Him by faith in Jesus Christ, who came to die for men, they would see the matchless charms of the Son. And by beholding, they would become changed to the same image. How many of you want to join me in committing again to beholding the matchless charms of Christ? Maybe the book Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings. Maybe the book Desire of Ages. Maybe the Gospel of John. Any text in the Bible will lead you to Christ. And when this happens, what will happen? We'll talk of the power of God. We'll talk of the goodness and mercy and the love of our Father. We'll talk of the matchless charms of our divine Redeemer. And our hearts will be melted and subdued by the Holy Spirit. 
And those around us, it says, Review and Herald 4, 5, 92, those around us will behold us and will know that we've been with Jesus and learned of him. This is what happened to Peter. He went from denying to declaring. Because he beheld the matchless charms of Jesus. So I ask you today, what stands in the way of you, young person? What stands in the way of you, mom or dad? What stands in the way of a total surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ? And don't say I've already done that. We need to surrender daily. Amen? What stands in the way? Desire of Ages 668. When we know him, as it is our privilege to know him, our life will become a life of continual obedience. What was in the step before self-control or temperance in our ladder? Knowing him. And when we know him, as it is our privilege to know him, our life will be a life of continual obedience. I want to read a list of things about Jesus that a, that a minister put together. I don't even know who it was. I just got this one day, and I think it's so powerful. And then I want to sing that song, You Can Have All This World, Give Me Jesus. And during that time, I want you to make it, I, 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 as you listen to this list, I want you to consider again a specific appeal, and that is, are you willing today to say at this appeal, I am struggling with temperance issues? We don't need to know what it is. Maybe it is, I don't know. Don't tell me. But during this appeal, this appeals for you, and you now see that in this message, the practical thing is to look to Jesus, and you want to say, look, pray for me. I am rededicating my life in this area. That's the appeal, okay? And after I uplift Jesus again with this list, we're going to sing that song. We're going to close before we go to lunch. But you will have settled it with Jesus. Yes, I am, I am surrendering this again to Jesus. I'm asking for his help, okay? Listen to this list. It's called Give Me Jesus. He is enduringly strong, speaking of Jesus. He is entirely sincere. He is eternally steadfast. He is immortally gracious. He is imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. He is the greatest phenomena that has ever crossed the horizons of the globe. Just give me Jesus. He is God's Son. He is the sinner's Savior. He is the captive's ransom. He is the breath of life. He is the counterpiece of civilization. He stands in the solitude of himself. He is august and he is unique. He is unparalleled and he is unprecedented. He is undisputed and he is undefiled. He is unsurpassed and he is unshakable. He is the lofty idea in philosophy. He is the highest personality in psychology. He is the supreme subject in literature. He is the unavoidable problem in higher criticism. He is the fundamental doctrine of theology. He is the cornerstone, the capstone, and the stumbling stone of all religion. He is the miracle of the ages. Just give me Jesus. He discharges, he discharges the debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent, and he beautifies the meek. He is the key of knowledge. He is the wellspring of wisdom. He is the fountain of faith. He is the doorway of deliverance. He is the pathway to peace. He is the roadway of righteousness. He is the gateway to glory. He is the highway to happiness. He supplies strength to the weary. He increases power to the faint. He offers escape to the tempted. He sympathizes with the hurting. He saves the hopeless. He shields the helpless. He sustains the homeless. He gives purpose to the aimless. He gives reason to the meaningless. He gives fulfillment to our emptiness. He gives light in the darkness. He gives comfort to our loneliness. He gives fruit in our barrenness. He gives help to the hopeless. He gives life to the lifeness. Just give me Jesus. He guards the young. He seeks the stray, he finds the lost, he guides the faithful, he rights the wrong, he avenges the abused. 
He defends the weak. He comforts the oppressed. He welcomes the prodigal and he heals the sick. He cleanses the dirty. He beautifies the barren. He restores the failure. He mends the broken. He blesses the poor. He fills the empty. He clothes the naked and he satisfies the hungry. He elevates the humble. He forgives the sinner. He raises the dead. His office is manifold. And his promise, his promise is sure. His life is matchless. And his goodness is limitless. His mercy is enough and his grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He is indestructible. He is indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He is irresistible. He is irrefutable. I can't get him out of my mind. I can't get him out of my heart. I can't outlive him and I can't live without him. And the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found they couldn't stop him. And Satan tried to tempt him, but found he couldn't trip him. Pilate examined him on trial, but found he couldn't fault him. The Romans crucified him, but found they couldn't take his life. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Praise God, just give me Jesus. He had no predecessor, and he will have no successor. He is the lion, and he is the lamb. He is God, and he is man. He's the king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's the king of Israel. That's the national king. He's the king of righteousness. That's a mortal king. He's the king of ages. That's an eternal king. He's the king of heaven. That's a universal king. He's the king of glory. That's a celestial king. He's the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Just give me, please, just give me Jesus. John's Gospel it says they wrote everything they could about Jesus and then it says there are not enough books that could contain everything beautiful about Jesus how many of you want to stand with me this is an appeal remember and you're saying this appeal I want Jesus specifically to help me in the area of temperance. Turn in your hymn books to number 305. And if you really want to do that, if you're making that, responding specifically to that, I invite you to stand as we sing, In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Dark midnight was my cry. Dark midnight was my cry. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You to sing the last verse here in a minute but I want to make another appeal here I'm glad to see we're all standing together in this I hope you didn't just stand because everybody else did but I want to make one last appeal for our last verse and that's this maybe there's a young person here today this really is the first time they've said that give me Jesus And they really mean it this time. They just say, hey, look, I am truly giving my life over to Jesus today.
I, I don't even care if it's a, an adult. Maybe this is the first time, and you're saying, look, I am giving my life over today, and here at WYC, I want to just fully accept the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to have victory in Him. I want to receive Him fully in my life. And as we sing this last verse, why don't you come forward? You come forward and I'll pray with you and for you. We'll all pray for you. Why don't you come forward right now? Let's sing the last two verses just to give us a chance there. Just about the break of day. Just about the break of day. Just about the break of day. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You may have all come forward. This world. Come forward right up here. The Lord bless you. Hallelujah. Responding to Jesus' love. Let's sing that last verse. Anyone else? Don't just stop. If you're, this is a special day, you are recommitting in some special way to Jesus. You're saying, look, I'm coming right now to Jesus. Why not do it right now as we sing this last verse together? Let's sing it together. Give me Jesus. Oh, when I come to die. Oh, when I come to die. Oh, when I come to die. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Come up here. Give me Jesus. Lord bless you. You may have all this world, but give me Jesus. Those people right in the rows right here, why don't we surround those who've come forward? Put your hand on someone there that's come forward. Come right around and let's just have a special prayer together. Lord, thank you for these decisions. I don't know what they mean. But you know. You know every heart. You know every mind. And our lives are like an open book to you. You can read just like that minister could read on the, on the forehead of the man next to him. And today we don't, we don't want you to read anything else except your blood and your righteousness. We want to accept you again, Jesus. And we ask you that you would come in to our lives in just a special and new way. We've seen you. We want to savor you. We want to be totally satisfied in you. And I ask that you would give each of these people that have come forward the desires of their heart. And that you would surround them with people just like you did surround the prophet when she was struggling with something as mundane but as important as vinegar. And we thank you. And we come in the all-worthy name of Jesus. Amen. And amen.